We started a brand new series last week called Snapshots. And here's what we're looking at in the series of snapshots. We're in, still in the book of Mark, but we're looking at different snapshots in the life of people as they encounter Jesus. And as they encounter Jesus, what we're really looking at in these snapshots is what does their faith look like? You know, I don't know about you, but I can go to my mom's house or my grandmother's house, and there's these photo albums, and it's got these beautiful pictures in there. But here's what I know about those snapshots and those photo albums. My mother, my grandmother, my aunt, whoever did it, social media is the same way. We don't just put whatever photo was taken. We look through many, many, many snapshots trying to find the very best one that makes the person that's posing look the best, right? And sometimes in our faith, I think we try to do the same thing. We try to like figure out in our faith, when's the best look that I have in faith, and that's the one we want to show. But reality, life is more than just a single snapshot or two or three different snapshots. Life is full of moments. And here's what I love about the book of Mark as we look at these different faith moments. Not all of them are the best, okay? Not all of them are picture perfect. But the reason I like that, because that allows me and you to see that as God is growing us, as Jesus is developing us, he's not just looking for those picture-perfect moments in our life. He is okay to have those moments that we don't look so good. And so as we work through this series, Snapshots, we're looking at these different people just like you and I. Sometimes they look good in their faith. Sometimes they don't look so good in their faith. But all of it is part of God's plan to develop them and develop us and who God wants us to be. So, speaking of snapshots, I found a few photos this past week that I want to show you. Now, before I show them to you, I probably should put a disclaimer, kind of a warning up there, because these snapshots don't come from my family. In fact, I pulled these off the internet, but they're snapshots that, for some of you, just to warn you, they may be a little unsettling. Okay, so a little disclaimer there, okay? Uh, not a PG-13, but just a warning for all of us. So, let me just show you the first snapshot. Okay, now... Most of us smile, but there are some in here right now that all of a sudden you lost your breath because did you realize there is a phobia? There are some people that are fearful of clowns. In fact, that phobia is called coulerophobia, and my son has that. If he was here at church today and he saw that picture, he would leave the church and he would leave the property and never to be seen again because he just freaks out on clowns. Any, any clown freak out people in here? Okay, sorry, let's move on to the next picture. So here's the next picture. Like, you can see them kind of shaking right now. Okay, that one, okay, there you go. You can go ahead and take that picture off there for a second. Arachnophobia. Some people are fearful of, of spiders, and they just literally, they cannot be around spiders. Here's the third picture I want to show you. Peanut butter and jelly. Did you know this? There's a phobia out there. There's an intense fear, not necessarily over the jelly, but over the peanut butter. I won't even try to pronounce what it's called, but there are people that are fearful of peanut butter because they're afraid they're going to take a bite of it. It's going to stick at the top of their roof, and they can never get it to go down their throat. Okay, that's a real fear out there. Okay, now here's the deal. I showed those few phobias to you just to kind of have some fun to recognize. Here's the deal. We all have fears, don't we? They may not be phobias, but we all have fears. Some fears are good, healthy fears. Other fears aren't so healthy. For example, if you're raising kids, you probably taught your kids, be fearful of the ball rolling out into the street and running after it. Because we wanted to teach our kids there could be a car coming by, and that would not be a very good ending for you. So we taught our kids to be fearful of the street when cars are going by there. Now, that's a healthy fear, right? An unhealthy fear. This is me my whole life. Now that I've been here three weeks, let me go ahead and show you the real Keith. I am dreadfully fearful of any kind of small rodent. Okay, growing up, 
mice, hamsters, gerbils were not allowed in our household. One time my brother brought one home, put it in one of those balls that ran around the house. I think that little gerbil chased me around the house three or four times. I'm, I just can't handle it. My kids never had a gerbil or a hamster or any little rodent like that for a pet because I couldn't handle it. Sometimes, seriously, I would take them to the pet shop and I would do good in the fish section. We could do the cute little kitties. We could do the dogs. But as we moved back towards the hamsters, I left my small children alone in this pet store because I couldn't handle it. I'm out there on the sidewalk just pacing because it just, it just freaked me out. Now, here's the deal. I've learned to kind of deal with that and overcome it. I don't go into pet shops. If you want to come to my house, you have to leave your gerbil at home. Okay, I've learned to kind of work around this fear until I moved to Denver. My wife and I are living right now in this Airbnb condo. And right across the street, there's this large field. Do you know what's in that large field? Prairie dogs, okay? We drove by, and they look cute, okay? If I'm in my car and driving where I can run over one if I need to, I love prairie dogs. But I found a route that I began walking on, and most of it's on the street, but there's this one part of my route that I walk on for exercise in my neighborhood, and I go down this trail, and it is like prairie dog heaven, okay? There's these little cute little prairie dogs sticking their head up. I'm not lying to you. This past week when I was walking, I had to start running instead of walking for exercise because I just sensed every prairie dog in that area was going to come out and attack me at the same time, okay? Like, I, I'm, I need to move on because I've just got a knot in my stomach right now. So all that is to say, we have fears, right? Some are healthy fears and some are unhealthy fears. And, and here's what I've learned about fears. There's no discrimination, is there? It doesn't matter your age, your social status, your race, your economic level. We all have fears of some sort. Maybe prairie dogs, maybe something completely different. But it seems like to me these fears, they can approach us, attack us, manifest themselves in different areas of our lives. Sometimes they manifest themselves relationally. Sometimes we have these just relational fears that we can't move forward in these different relationships. They can manifest themselves physically, emotionally, mentally. But the part that I want to take a few minutes today and talk to you about fears is how they affect us spiritually. I wonder if we could like rewind our lives. I wonder how many moments of faith that God had prepared for us to grow us, to develop us, to take us to the next step. But because fear stepped into our lives, it became an unhealthy fear. And rather, rather than moving forward in that faith moment that God had for us, we froze in our tracks, and that snapshot was never taken. Because some reason, somehow, we just had this fear, maybe fear of God, maybe fear of what God's going to do, maybe fear of what it looked like in our life, but fear made us just kind of freeze in that moment, and that snapshot of faith was never taken. And so I want us to look at fear and how it affects us spiritually today. And as every Sunday, I can't think of a better place to look if we're going to examine something like this than Scripture. So if you have your Bible, or we're going to have it on the screen here, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6. And we'll be in the 45th verse today. And here's the snapshot of Scripture that we read about today. And it says this, Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back in the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. Let me just catch up real quick here. This account takes place right after what we studied last week, the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus fed the 5,000. It's time to go home. And he said, disciples, it's in the evening. You get in the boat. You head over to Bethsaida. I've got to stay back here for a while because we'll see what he wanted to stay back for. 
And after telling everyone goodbye, he went up to the hills to himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was all alone on the land. And he saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. And about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came forward to talk to, or came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them. Isn't that an interesting thought? He intended to go past them. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. And they were all terrified. You see the fear? You see the phobia? You see this, this, the, the, just the, how terrified they are at this moment? They all were terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once, and he said, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. And then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. And they were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves, talking about the feeding the 5,000. And this is what it says at the end. And their hearts were too hard to take it all in. And so let me just this morning for a few minutes, I want to point out there's lots of fears that we have spiritually, but I think there are three specific fears when it comes to our spiritual lives with God that many people often struggle with. And these fears aren't those that don't know Jesus. They aren't those that just met Jesus and trying to figure it out all out. I think some of these fears, you could be walking and living and loving Jesus for all the years of your life, but still encounter some of these fears. And the reason I say that, I want you to know today, if one of these fears is a description of you, don't slouch back going, I don't want any, anyone else to know, because there's a good chance there's others in this room that experience some of these same fears. And so the first fear I want to point out to you, and if you're taking notes, this is the first point. It's fear that God doesn't see my situation. Fear that God doesn't see my situation. The last census, here's what we know about the population of the world. There's over 8 billion people in our world. But in Colorado alone, there's over 6 million people. And in Denver, there's nearly 3 million people. So do me a favor, look at the person next to you and say, I want you to know that you're one in a million. Okay? They may need that kind of encouragement today. You're one in a million. But when we think of those kind of numbers, and we think of this, this fear that does God really see me, I think that fear makes sense. I mean, if there's 8 billion people in this world, if there's nearly 3 million people just in the Denver area alone, how in the world is God able to see just me? And if he's able just to see me or he can't see me, how in the world can he see my situation? Do me a favor. Let's go back to that passage in Mark. And this is what it says. He saw, talking about Jesus, he saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. And so this passage, here's the disciples, they're out there rowing. They're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Now, we call it the Sea of Galilee. It's really more like a lake. And the lake probably was about eight miles wide and 18 miles long. And so we get the description from this account that Jesus had crawled up onto a hill. So he had a good elevation to see them. And so if they're in the middle of the lake, they might have just been two or three miles out. So with that type of elevation, maybe the moon was shining, a full moon that night. It would not have been impossible for Jesus to see this boat out there. But remember this, Jesus sees more than you and I see, doesn't he? In fact, the Bible lets us know in other accounts that even sees into our heart to what's going in there. And so in this moment, Jesus was in the right place physically. But as a son of God, he's in the right place spiritually to see us. We literally are 
in the eyes of Jesus, in the eyes of God, one in a million, and he sees it. And so on this particular night, he looked down and he saw exactly what's going on. And I want to give you hope today that Jesus may not be on a hillside right outside this church. We may not be in a physical storm with waves, but with whatever circumstances you're in right now, whether they are good or bad, whether they are life-giving or life-taking, God sees you where you are right now. In fact, let me read a passage in Psalms. The psalmist wrote this in Psalms 139. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, and you see me when I rest at home. You know everything you do, I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such a knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. And I realize in our human thinking, to think that 8 billion people on this planet and God sees me and my situation, and if you sit there and try to figure it out, you will wear yourself out and never believe it. But God's ways are greater than our ways. So no matter your situation right now, I want to give you hope and I want to give you a thought for the future. God does see where you are. But that takes us to our next fear. And the second fear that many people deal with when it comes to God and their spirituality is the fear that God doesn't care about my situation. It's one thing for you to see it, but do you really care about it? I mean, let's think this through. God, if you see my situation and you really care about me, then why don't you help me pass algebra? God, if you see my situation and you really care about me, why don't you transfer my boss, my supervisor, to another department if you really care about me? God, if you really see me and you really care about me, why don't you help my kids make better choices? God, if you really see me and you really care about me, why can't you make the pain go away? Are you with me? You ever felt that kind of fear? Hello, God, I'm here, but if you see me, why don't you do something for my problems? Mark 6, 48, here, here's what we said, and we read this, but let me, let me throw it back up there to you again. It says, about 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. Okay, so can I just give you some hope from this passage? Jesus saw the disciples out on the lake on the Sea of Galilee, and he walked towards them. That shows me care. If he didn't care, he would have stayed up there on his hillside, kept praying, kept eating, whatever he wanted to do. His concern wasn't the disciples. So the very fact that he walked toward them showed how much he cared. Let's go back to the story that we looked at last week, the feeding of the 5,000. We always focus on the, the feeding of the 5,000 and the, the five loaves of bread and the two fish and what God, Jesus, miraculously did with it. But something was said by Jesus before he ever started that miracle. And the Bible says, if you go back and read it, he saw the crowds ever before he addressed them when he first walked up to them, and he had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looked out on that lake on the Sea of Galilee, and he saw the, the disciples. They were like sheep without a shepherd. God sees mine and your life, our circumstances right now, and he does care about us. He does want things for us. He does want to be a part of our situation. He truly does care about us. But let's look at that passage again and see what it says. In fact, before we do that, let me take you to Psalms 139 again. This is what the psalmist says about God caring for him. 
He says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, I will dwell by the far, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will, look what it says, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I think sometimes we have circumstances and we prescribe to God, God, if you see me and if you care for me, this is how you'll respond. I know I had kids that way before. If you love me, this is what you'll get for my birthday. If you love me, this is how you'll respond to my bad grades that I brought home from school. And you and I know as parents that our love and our care for our children was never based on what we bought them for their birthday. And it was never built based on whether they agree with how I respond to the grades they brought home. Jesus truly does care about us. Look back at Mark 6, 48, because there's an interesting observation I brought it out to you. And this is the part that you're going to kind of want to take some notes. It says, he intended, as he's walking towards them, he intended to go past them. Mm, that one's kind of interesting, isn't it? <laughs> you, you may be here going, listen, that's the most descriptive the Bible has ever spoken about me. Here I am, one in a million in the world. I've got the circumstances. I'm wondering, God, why don't you care about me? Because you're not fixing and stepping into my problems. And I'm waving, going, hello, God. Okay, can't you see the storm? Hello, God, can't you see me rowing against the waves? Hello, God, can't you see me failing? Can't you see me not having a good time at work? Can't you see my marriage relationship? We're going, God, if you really love me, you would care about me and come to me. But the disciples said, and it's recorded, that he was walking past them. Anybody ever felt that way before? <laughs> that he's not maybe just walking past you. Maybe at times you feel like, and he's walked past past you. He's not in the process of moving by. He's done move by and waving goodbye to you. You ever felt that way before? Now, let me give you some clarification on this particular passage. When it says he intended to go past them, here's the better translation. If you go back to the original language, the Greek, the better translation says he was passing in view of them. His intention was not to ignore them and shun them, his intention was to walk towards them and by them so they could see him. Jesus was more concerned with the disciples recognizing him than he was fixing the problem. Let me say that one again. And as I say this, you may want to kind of pick your toes off the ground because this is the moment that the scripture begins stepping on our toes a little bit. Because you see, I take the scripture and I want to form the God of the scriptures in the image I want him to be. But truly, scriptures are to take the image of God and form me into the image that he wants me to be. And so Jesus was more concerned with the disciples recognizing him than he was fixing the problem. That's the reason sometimes you feel like I'm fearful that God really cares about me. You're going, God, here I am. Can't you fix my problems? And God's going, yeah, I see your problems, but I see you. And there's things in you and about you that I'm more concerned about than the things around you. The disciples, they were wanting a snapshot. 
Like, they saw Jesus, and probably if we could interview them right now, they're going, yeah, it would have been the perfect snapshot. I mean, how many people get a photo of Jesus in the middle of a lake, right? And him walking on the water. So we just kind of imagine that the, that the water would be like glass and calm down, and the moon would be this perfect big giant moon that would bring the right reflection and be great for a photograph. And we'd kind of go, Jesus, and take that snapshot. They were looking for the most beautiful picture that made them look good. Jesus was after a snapshot of them simply trusting in him. That's the reason at this moment in the story, he didn't calm the seas. He didn't make the wind stop because their trust hadn't got to the point they could be willing to say, in Jesus, here's my circumstances. In Jesus, if I'm giving you my circumstances, I better go ahead and give, me, give you me as well. And so the snapshot of faith they were looking for were two completely different snapshots. Our faith wavers when we focus more on what we want from Jesus than who he is. Let me say that again. You, that's worth writing down. Our faith wavers when we focus more on what we want from Jesus than who he is. And at that moment that Jesus is walking by, he's warning the disciples to going, the Son of God. The same Son of God, the same Jesus that multiplied two, two fish and five loaves, the same Jesus that made lame people walk, that made blind people see, the Jesus that we're committing our life to following, that's the Jesus right there. And if their faith was going to grow in the way that would take them to the next season of their life, they had to recognize it's more important who Jesus is than what he can do for them. We want Jesus to fix our problem. Jesus says, I just want you to focus on my love. I love what Debbie told the kids down here, that she goes home and that's a safe place to be. That's still home. That's what Jesus wants us to recognize in him, that he is always a safe place to be. When you came in today, you received a piece of paper like this. Now, I hope you haven't been writing notes to the person next to you about where you want to eat for lunch. And I hope you're not watching your watch, and if I hit the 30-minute mark, you start wadding it up and throwing it at the preacher, okay? That's not what these are for, okay? I will tell you later how I want you to use these, but for right now, just, just lay them down. But, but I want to I read something to you, and actually, the way these are going to be used in the weeks to come, we want you to write a snapshot of your faith. Maybe it was your faith the moment you came to meet Jesus as your Savior, that moment, that snapshot of faith. Maybe it's later in life where God really grew your faith. But here's what we're wanting is stories of all of our faith posted around the church. Wouldn't that be a beautiful picture? And we're not looking for the beautiful stories. It may be the ugliest snapshot of a story of your life, but it's an ugly season of your life that God used in a miraculous way. And so that's really what these are for. You don't have to do it now. Keep listening. But in the weeks to come, take it home today. And actually, there's a place that we can take a photograph. We'll have cameras out there to put your picture with your, with your story. Now, you know the real reason for that? Because I'm still trying to learn your names. Okay? That way I can go cheat along the week and try to learn your names better. But let me read. As we talk about the fear, does God really see me? Does God really care about me? Let me read you the snapshot story of someone that I encountered. It says this. At the onset of the pandemic, I was finishing my doctorate and had already spent the past year looking and applying for jobs. I graduated in the summer of 2020. My wife and our two kids decided to move on, move in with my parents in Colorado because we were certain this whole corona thing would blow over in just a few months. Things got worse, the lockdowns lengthened, the economy began to suffer, and I continued to look for jobs. 
I began delivering food for Uber, often eight to ten hours a day, just to stay afloat. Even after things began to relax and open up, I still could not land a job. Remember, the person writing this has a doctorate, okay? They're not unqualified. They're overqualified. I applied to 107 jobs in my field in the span of two years, and that effort resulted in only two interviews and zero job offers. Driving around the city delivering food, you get a lot of time with God. And my prayer was often, God, I have a doctorate, and I'm delivering food, living with my parents with no idea what's coming for me or my family. Where did I go wrong? Have I messed this thing up? Did I just waste three years and thousands of dollars on a terminal degree that has no value? Why doesn't anybody want me? Am I an imposter? What is going to happen to me and my family? Are you disappointed in me, God? Do I still please you? Am I enough? God, I'm scared. If this is not the path you want for me, God, please tell me. And then one day while at home, I stumbled upon a prayer by Thomas Merton called The Prayer of an Unknowing and from his book, Thoughts in Solitude. And in that moment, I heard God's voice saying, my beloved child, you are loved and you are enough, not because of merit or achievement or worth, because of your capacity to love others and the love which comes from me. This is all I ask of you to love others and together seek my face. You don't need to know the plans. You just have to trust. And so I surrendered. I gave up trying to be who I thought I should be. I started listening at best at who I could be what God wanted me to be. I stopped trying to be in control of my future, and I did my best to let God take the wheel. One week later, another job opening showed up. I was not looking for this particular job, had not even considered it until it was brought to my attention. It was not a job in my area of my field I was looking for, but it was a job in which I could love on people and seek God. Strangely, and for the first time, I felt excited about this job more than I'd ever felt about any of the other 107 applications I'd put in. I applied, I interviewed, and very soon afterward, I was given an offer. I still have that job, and that job is a dream. Signed, Stuart Dameron. Is that not amazing? You see, here's why that story is so important for us. Stuart's our worship pastor. Stuart, he's the guy that leads us up here in worship. Amazing. Yet you look at the snapshot of him doing this, you're going, oh, he's got his life together. God's like anointed him. God's probably just paved the road for him. 107 job offers. And then he has a job now that he never dreamed of having. It wasn't in his thinking. There was probably plenty of times he's going, God, one in a million. Can you just see me for a change? Okay, I'm an Uber driver with a doctorate degree living with my parents. But God was putting him in the place not to walk by him, but to walk by him so Stuart would see him and realize that God cares about him. A snapshot of faith. So there are fears that you and I experience in our spiritual life. Fears that God, does he see us? Fears, does he even care about us? Let me give you one more fear as we wrap up here. And that fear says this, the fear that God isn't real. The fear that God isn't real. Back in Mark, it says, but when they saw him, talking about Jesus, when they saw him walking on the lake, that he, they thought he was a ghost. Okay, the disciples who had eaten with him, that had walked with him for months, maybe even a year or two at this point, and they thought he was a ghost? And they cried out because they all saw him and they were all terrified. I'm going, disciples, you guys are dumb. 
Okay? How could you mistake? This is Jesus. You have seen him better than anybody. You know him better than anybody. How do you recognize or think he might be a ghost? Can I let you know something else about Keith? Sometimes I have that kind of faith. Here I'm a pastor, been to seminary. I'm not supposed to think these things, much less say these things out loud. But sometimes there's these moments in my life that I have a faith crisis and I wonder, God, are you really real? Or maybe the world's right. Maybe you're just this figment of imagination that I lean on because I need something to lean on. I mean, think about the story of Jesus, born of a virgin. Okay, that kind of puts it a little bit different than most stories, right? He goes around healing people. He goes around making two, le- two, two fish and five loaves of bread, just multiply and feed over 20,000 people. He raises people from the dead. He himself rose from the dead. Can we just stop there for a second? I'm not denying the truth because I really do buy into it, but there are moments in my life when I step back, and if I listen to the world too much, sometimes in my faith, God feels like, and I wonder, is he just a ghost? Is he the storybook just character that I'm, I'm, I'm hanging on to? Again, that's my human perspective. And that human perspective is where the disciples were when Jesus was walking by. But Jesus has this way of going from, let me take you from your human perspective to a real life perspective. And what's the Bible say he did? When they recognized him, he took a step towards them and he stepped into their boat. Okay, when Jesus is just out there and I'm trying to figure out, but when he comes close and he steps into my life, then I'm going, no, he's more than a figment of my imagination. He's more than just a story the world makes up to try to lean on something called religion. He's more than just a ghost. He is real because he has stepped into my boat. Mark chapter 6, here's what it says. But Jesus spoke to them at, that, at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here with you. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. Can I read for you my snapshot? I grew up at church. From an early age, I was taught the Bible stories and all the right answers that went with them. I understood that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I understood that my sins separated me from God. And I also understood that Jesus rose from the grave to forgive my sins. And I was even baptized. As time went on, I realized I had lots of head knowledge of Jesus, but was missing a heart relationship with him. I knew of Jesus out there, but he had never stepped into my boat. It was at that moment I took my first step of faith and I committed myself, my head, my heart, my entire life to Jesus. I didn't know what it meant. I trusted and I took a step of faith that changed my life. See, at that moment, I had to say, Jesus, come on. I didn't have to go find him. The disciples didn't have to go find him. Jesus came to them, but the minute he stepped into my life in a relationship, he went from a figment of my imagination to some ghost-like character to a real living relationship with me. It was like Jesus said, Keith, take courage. Keith, trust me. Keith, all these fears that you have, you don't have to be fearful. I don't have to be, you don't have to be fearful when a loved one passes away. We don't have to be fearful if we lose our identity when we don't have the job that we want. We don't have to be fearful that our kids are going to make some decisions that we can't rescue them in the decisions they make. 
We don't have to be fearful of our money running out at the end of this month or maybe before our life ends up. We don't have to be fearful when I wake up and the pain is still there because Jesus is stepping into the boat with us. And so those are three fears that people, me, you, people just like us, we face all the times when it comes to our spirituality. But here's what I know. Jesus is there with us in our fears. Let me wrap up with the last verse now, because there's some really interesting things here. The last verse says this. They were totally amazed, talking about the disciples, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracles or of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. They were still amazed. Like, they just saw 20,000 people get fed, and they still didn't understand it. Here's what I love about this moment in the story. Snapshots. Jesus could have walked on by going, guys, you didn't get it. I'm going to the next boat in trouble over here. The fact they didn't have their faith completed and perfect did not discourage Jesus from coming to them. If you're here today, you're probably like all of us. Our faith is not perfected. We don't have picture-perfect faith, but God is never using that as an excuse or reason not to take a step towards you. He's simply saying, I'm coming to you. We're amazed we don't get it, and God's going, it doesn't put me off. But look what the last thing says here. And it says, for their hearts were hardened. What does that mean? I don't know. It means their hearts were hardened. It means their hearts weren't completely soft and moldable exactly in this perfect way that Jesus wanted it. I don't know what it means, but here's what I know it describes. My heart. Probably your heart. Like, I hope it's more moldable today than it was yesterday, but I know my heart is still hardened. It's hardened by fear. It's hardened by lack of trust. It's hardened by sin sometimes, but Jesus never ran from the boat. He still stepped into the boat of hardened people. And I've got to believe this in my own vernacular. Jesus stepped into the boat of hardened people, and instead of going, the hard heart people in the boat, the good heart perfect people, snapshot people down this boat, I think Jesus got in the boat going, guys, all you guys with hardened hearts, hey, you, Peter, hey, you over here, come over here, come here. Snapshot. Let's take a selfie. Because these are the people that Jesus is drawn to. Jesus is never put away by our hardened heart. It draws him to us to say, let's just work on this heart. I don't know where you are today on your heart, in your faith journey, but this is what I know. We are in this boat together. I can't think of any better people here in this room online that I would rather be in the spiritual journey fears and no fears than you and here's my prayer that rather than coming on a sunday morning and button up our coat and looking like we have no fears and looking like we're picture perfect may we just be people like the like the disciples going jesus we don't have it all together but come step in our boat with us walk with us and take us that our faith can be more like yours jesus will you pray with me Father, thank you. Thank you this morning that you don't give up on us. Thank you that you don't expect picture-perfect faith to be called our Lord and our God. Jesus, thank you that I don't have to go row my boat or take my life and try to find you. You walk to me and by me in front of me so I could recognize you. 
And Jesus, thank you that you stepped into my boat and our boats. And so I pray. I pray this morning if there's anyone here that's just going, okay, Jesus, here you go. A little bit more of me. That today will be the, the day that we take that photo, we take that snapshot, and just going, God, here I am. Would you grow us, Jesus, to be more like you? And we pray this in your name. Amen.